Hi, I'm Nadia Hutzegong, and I am a United Nations Environment Google Ambassador. Uh, I am deeply passionate about our emotional well-being. I am an advisor for the Contentment Foundation, and I have a foot both in the conservation world, the media world, and I'm a mother of three. And so thank you so much for joining us on the Emotional Inclusion Podcast. You are listening to Emotional Inclusion Podcast. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Emotional Inclusion Podcast. Emotional inclusion is a call to all companies to take a stand and realize the urgent need to invest in a trained professional in their organizations to address the emotional state of their employees and particularly those who need to be reintegrated into the workforce post trying circumstances. Over my decade and a half long career in the fashion industry and listening to hundreds of stories of people who have navigated work whilst facing the perfect storm, I realized the urgent need to advocate a safe platform in the corporate world where emotions can be heard, recognized and dealt with for an enhanced business productivity. I invite you to tune in as I share practical wisdom and empowering conversations with influential leaders to break down archaic business stereotypes and lead the way to a better emotionally accepting corporate ecosystem. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast is here to shatter the status quo of today's business landscape and lead the way to a wholesome new mindset in the workforce. Today's guest is Nadia Hutagalung, UN Environment Ambassador, founder of We the Good and Let Elephants Be Elephants. Echo activist, media personality, and author, Nadia parlayed her 25 years in television, film, and fashion to become one of Asia's leading voices in the green movement. Nadia is a sustainability icon who entered the international spotlight as a model at the age of 12. She then became a household name across Asia by presenting on MTV Asia, which launched in 1995. Nadia hosted Asia's Next Top Model Asia Wide and produced and presented the documentary Let Elephants Be Elephants. Alongside her media achievements, Nadia is an environmental advocate. For her work in championing conservation, she was nominated for the International Green Awards most responsible international celebrity in 2012, alongside other eco-conservationists like George Clooney, Penelope Cruz, and Vivian Westwood. In 2014, she launched the Let Elephants Be Elephants campaign with a documentary to reduce the demand for ivory in Asia. The film aired worldwide on National Geographic and Nat Geo Wild. Nadia released her own book in December 2018 that explores layers of her life and career entitled Walk With Me, and it became a fast must-read amongst her fans and the green community alike. In the wake of COVID, Nadia most recently founded We The Good, a platform that supports those doing the work where it really counts, and that is bringing most crucial fundraising initiatives together in one space 
to tackle mental health and individuals or families at risk, to name a few causes. Nadia is a powerhouse for sustainable change. And if you follow her or know her personally, as do I a little bit, you will quickly realize her deeply vested mission in caring for the planet and for humankind as a whole. Her take on emotional inclusion from an overall ecosystem front is compelling, and it is my true pleasure to have her with me today. So Nadia, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Molly, thank you so much. In addition to that wonderful story of a bio, some of the things that directly relate to what we're going to be talking about today is that I'm also an advisor for the Contentment Foundation, and I'm also involved with another organization called Abroad. It really is about leadership uh, and, and helping leaders to have the right tools to move forward in these interesting times. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a really it's, it's a coaching program to help coach uh, some of the world's greatest leaders uh, in various fields. So those are the things that directly relate to uh, the conversation I think that we'll be having today. But also the work that I do with the environment, the social environmental work that I do as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Nadia. And thank you for that big nugget of information that also comes into indeed complementing our conversation today. So let us dive in. Um, and I, I, my first question to you is, through your career, uh, mental health has always been an important topic to you. And I'd love for you to tell us why that is. I think mental health to be honest with you, hasn't always been an important topic for me, which is precisely why it's such an important topic to me now. I ventured out into the world at a very young age. At the time I went to school, started working when I was 12 years old. And so that meant that I was essentially on my own to learn a lot of hard lessons in life. Um, and so it's only through those challenges that there's growth. And through that growth, there's always periods of, of reflection. And I'm grateful that at a certain point in my life, I, I, I mean, I'm, well, not at a certain point, I've always been incredibly curious about our purpose on this planet as human beings. You know, we're born and then, and then we die. And so what is, the, what, is the, what is the point of the in-between, right? It has to be something to do with the way that we evolve and, and better ourselves as human beings. And that, that has been, since I was a kid, you know, um, as early as nine years old. So... And then in my 20s, my books were all about different religions uh, because I was constantly craving answers. Um, and as a result of that, I have been very grateful to have met some wonderful guides who have helped to give me the tools uh, to be able to work through various challenges that I've had in my life. Um, and I think that without those tools, I wouldn't have been able to. I guess, come out on the other side with a perspective of that was a great learning journey, you know, as opposed to that was super hard and I'm surprised I survived, you know. So it's, it's really perspective has a, plays a huge role in this as well. But I think it's, it's, it really has to do with the tools that you have, your own internal well-being toolkit. That's what I'm really passionate about, passionate about making sure that people understand that they have these tools within them. And if they don't have those tools within them, there are so many people who have studied for many, many years and they study 
combination of ancient philosophies and modern neuroscience and emotional well-being and all of these kinds of things that can help you and help us um, guide and navigate our way through these ridiculously challenging times, which will, in my opinion, as a long-time environmentalist, only continue to increase. So it's absolutely critical that uh, we as leaders, as individuals, as business owners, as parents, have these toolkits um, and we invest in those toolkits to make sure that we can be resilient, well, adaptive and creative. And it is indeed also relevant right now, as you were just saying, with COVID and how it has equalized us and has really made us all one to get us clear about who we are and what we value. And out of all the job loss and the anxiety, there is really something greater here that is the, you know, quote unquote, fear not, we are all in this together. Would you perhaps please share with us your work at We the Good and how it specifically applies uh, uh, within the context of, of emotional inclusion? We the Good uh, was a platform that, we, that I initiated, and it's actually a collaborative effort, and it is in response to COVID. And so I, I was kind of sitting back and thinking to myself during the first few weeks of COVID, ah. Uh, I feel completely useless. You know, how can I contribute to the solution here? I'm not a frontline worker. I'm not medical staff. You know, we're locked locked down in our houses. We're not allowed to go out and volunteer and things like that. So I was really trying to figure out, I was trying to grapple with how I could contribute. And so I just pivoted the the tools that I've been using for so long um, in conservation and used it now for um, humans, you know, within our community who, who are needing help. Uh, we the good is um, as a result of response to COVID, and uh, I shifted the skill sets that I've been using in conservation and sustainability for so long into now focusing on the needs within our community. And so the the, the immediate needs that we saw were migrant workers. Uh, in Singapore, we have uh, a great majority of the numbers of COVID patients in Singapore are our migrant uh, brothers who come from, all, from from different parts of Asia to come here and work and build Singapore. Um, then it is uh, families and individuals at risk and mental health. So mental health is, again, obviously it's something that I'm, I'm deeply passionate about and it is something that is, is so critical at this time because Singapore last year spent three billion dollars on stress-related diseases or stress-related illnesses or mental health issues and that is pre-COVID. So if Singapore pre-COVID is already at a point where we're spending three billion dollars for a relatively small population and those are people who are actually going for help you know, and the percentage of those people who are going for help, you know, there's a, there's a greater percentage of those people who are not, you know, seeking help, right? So that's pre-COVID time. So COVID time, clearly, we are under a huge amount of stress, and that's something that's very obvious to everybody, right? So, and the multiple triggers of not being able to see your elderly folk, if you have, you know, all people who are living here in Singapore, if you are Singaporean being stuck at home with your kids. I mean, we all know uh, what the various triggers are right now, job loss, uh, insecurity, all of those things. I I knew that this would be a major 
a major, major issue right now. And as we continue to progress into these uncertain times and with the possibility, you know, like seeing other countries open up and then having having to close back down again, you can see that um, the the mental health, uh, we will have a surge in mental health issues uh, that are also then triggered by alcohol and uh, possibly, you know, consumption of drugs if people are taking some kind of drugs which are not very likely here in Singapore uh, or not very common at least, uh, but alcohol, you know, causes a huge amount of issues and then that then knocks on to physical well-being being compromised as well. So it's, it's really critical that we have these tools as corporates, as leaders, as parents, as teachers uh, and schools, uh, any kind of organisation to be able to tap into the well-being of our community. And those tools are not just for uh, looking at the symptoms of being unwell, but rather the tools to build a robust and healthy organization or community. So um, that then looks at, you know, what happens before someone shows the symptoms of being unwell? You know, how do we rebuild uh, within our community the benchmarks of success, reestablish what those benchmarks of success are? So they're not just pegged on material gain or the way that you look or the bag that you carry or the title that you have been bestowed, right? So what really success is, is have I built a strong, robust community that can rely on each other and depend on each other and know that their emotions and whatever's going on for them in their life is something that is, they are valid, right? And, and, All of us as human beings go through struggles. And so those are the things that need to be understood within a community and supported, right? Uh, And then things like um, understanding of emotions. Like I am, how am I feeling today? And really sort of tapping into that because a lot of the time we say, oh, how how are you feeling? You say, okay. The spectrum of emotions is huge. So what does okay actually mean? Okay, a little bit to the left or okay, a little bit to the not so good or what does okay actually mean and how do we dive deeper and make sure that people really are feeling radically well as best as possible given the circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious to sort of picking your brain a little bit more and asking you why is it important to you that we destigmatize this emotional realm, especially in the backdrop of COVID, uh, but in the context of uh, big corporations out there who still don't see the relevance or the importance for it. Could you perhaps please give us a few examples of your experiences? I, I know you've spoken to many big corporations who at face value don't necessarily see the relevance of EI within their corporations? I think EI is possibly the greatest investment that a company can make. You know, if, for example, Singapore spends $3 billion on stress-related illnesses in a year, that means that that is a huge cost to corporations as well. If their employees are unwell, that is a cost to the corporation. So investing in the emotional inclusion or the emotional well-being of their um, staff is something that is you're investing in the company, right? Because it is, it would be highly delusional to assume that 100% of your staff is 100% well 
emotionally, mentally, physically, 100% of the time. Absolutely. Right? And that is just, it's just like going through life with blinkers on, right? And it wouldn't be far more progressive to say within this community, within this organization, we are all humans. Therefore, we all will face some form of challenges, suffering in our lives on some level, brought on by, by so many different triggers, right? So it, it only makes sense for me to invest in having these tools in place, whether it is through a leadership program or whether it is through having uh, somebody on board within the organization who is trained to be able to help support the staff that is going through these things. And I can tell you, and, and, and it's like, and I'll use a conservation reference here, right? So in, for conservation outfits to have success, they invest, I mean, the most, to me, the most successful conservation, out, conservation outfits have great success because they invest in their community. So then when they invest in the community, the community then is thriving and understands the value of conservation. They understand the value of what it means to have more elephants or more orangutans, and then that means more beds and then, you know, all that kind of stuff. But if a, a conservation outfit comes into a, a place and they say, I'm just going to focus on elephants and you guys can, you know, starve and you can do whatever, of course there's going to be rebellion, right? Or, of course, the, the local community is not going to understand why it's important to do these things. And similar in this case, if the, if the corporate invests in its staff, if a community invests in the well-being of its community, the community then gives back. Hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. And but yet it is still a murky territory aware about having companies really take note of this and really look at it with attention and I'd say with a sense of urgency is very much a still a struggle. And this is why hearing voices like yours, and it is so important for our listeners and for companies out there to start waking up to this matter. I was really honored to, to be invited to speak to all of the regional heads of DBS recently. And it was a, it was a mindfulness retreat weekend. Uh, and so I came in to talk to them about mindfulness. I was given some information beforehand that, you know, mindfulness may not be so popular because, you know, different religions, different cultures look at mindfulness or meditation differently. So I was kind of like, okay, I'll go in and give my talk. And it was a keynote. And then I'll just throw in a little bit of um, mindfulness grounding in the beginning. And then we'll do another um, meditation a little bit further down through the, the session. And it was so interesting because it was at the end of the session where all of the questions were about meditation and mindfulness. And I totally did not expect that. That just means that there is a hunger, curiosity, and need there. Because just through leading and facilitating this group of leaders in two, um, one in just grounding and being really present in place and the other in focusing on our breath and sort of just thinking through things, right, how much that, that shifted them even within that hour. So to be a great leader and to be able to look at topics like emotional inclusion, it means that you need to 
have robust knowledge about these things. And women are by nature more empathetic. Uh, and so women are twice as likely to yawn than men. You know, that, you know when people, somebody yawns and then you catch that yawn and that's because you're empathized. It's like part of that is empathizing, right? And so women are twice as likely to do that than men, right? Um, and, and psychopaths don't do that. Isn't it interesting to see, you know? And so when you look at leaders, and this is really all about leadership, okay? So when you look at a good leader, they need to have two wings, right? They need to have the wing of wisdom and the wing of compassion, right? And then, then they can be great leaders, right? So it, it has to be, to be able to do this in the corporate setting, it really does need to be from, from the top down and um, we need to be grooming the next leaders of the world. And it's amazing to see how many incredible female leaders are doing so well during this COVID period. Absolutely. And uh, I think your point as to us as women being, I'd say, more receptive to the emotional realm is a true case of nature and nurture. And I think at the end of the day, though there are many men out there, leaders who are very sensitized to the fact that their compassionate wing, as you were saying, and I'd say overall their emotional wing needs to be more acutely tuned on and it's hard for them. Could you uh, reveal to our audience this personal story that made you realize the importance of emotional inclusion in your life? Um, let me think on that one. But before we go on to that, I wanted to just sort of add in the thought that I have there about our menfolk in leadership uh, and being in touch with their emotions. So is there a way that we can support the men? And it's not, that, you know, it's, so it's not something that's us against them, but it's really about how do we support the menfolk? And something that's quite interesting is that my husband runs a men's group and I've been facilitating a women's group as well. And what's interesting with the men's group is it seems that the men really absolutely, they just lap it up. They just absolutely love um, having a space that is safe for them because, you know, at home you can't talk about your emotions and how you're feeling because you have to be the man, you have to be the provider, you have to be able to show your strength. And then at work you obviously can't talk about any of these things either. And usually in Asia... Within your family, there's there's not space to have these discussions because Asian families very rarely communicate on such things. Or encouraging men to have these sort of male support groups. Well, I wouldn't say support groups, but like man cave is what is what Des calls it. Of course, everything is strictly confidential, so I don't really get to know what's happening, but I do know how popular the men's group is and for how many years it's been carrying on and how many groups have kind of split off and sort of started, like he started, he started one, two in, when we were living in Bali, and then he started another one here in Singapore. And that's continuing to grow because it's just a, a circle of safety uh, with a particular sort of format and, and guidelines to, to running the sessions. And I think this is something that even as women, we can support and encourage people within our community to, to, sort of, to get involved with these things because then the men have a safe space to be able to talk about their emotions and be facilitated in that way. And that helps to plant the seeds for better leaders. So I think it's, it, while it's, it's important to recognize that yes, women are more, more naturally more empathetic and has this 
compassion is built in, it doesn't mean that we can't nurture that or foster that in, in the men folks. So I think I just, just wanted to bring that up. I, absolutely. And that's such a good point, Nadia. I think that ripple effect of men leaders who rise up to say that it is okay to be emotional because it is just a foundational part of our humanness and exercise that side of themselves in the work realm by walking their talk. And there are many men leaders out there who do it. And this is part also of this whole emotional inclusion podcast movement that I put into place whereabouts I have men leaders who are coming on and talking out loud about the beautiful work that they're doing on a work front to really take out the shame and the stigma around it. So yes, I would love to uh, hear about a personal story of yours that for you at least made you realize, all right, emotional inclusion is something that, that is of importance, that is of relevance. And I'm sure our listeners would be very curious as well. So at one point I was contracted to a TV station a local TV station, and had to fly to Indonesia for a job. Uh, and at the time that I flew to Indonesia for a job, my cousin died, and we're very close. Um, and he's, he's based in Indonesia, based in Jakarta. And so I had to stay. There was a period of time that I actually lived with my cousins uh, when I was younger. So my, my parents had me stay with my aunt and uncle for a while. So... We're very close and um, he was younger than me and he died. And so I had to stay. And my, the person that I was reporting to didn't believe that my cousin had died. He thought that I was using that as an excuse to stay, stay in Indonesia and, and do whatever. He spread rumors about me within the organization, telling people that I was just skiving off and doing whatever I wanted to do and telling people that my cousin had died so I could just do whatever I wanted. So I heard that, that got back to me, obviously, because the people <laughs> believed me. And so that, that kind of thing is something that I think is a sign of, of terrible leadership. Absolutely. And lack of emotional inclusion because I was in pain. Uh, and then at that time to be accused of lying and, and then spreading rumors about me was, was something that was just so... You know, it was it was one of the things in my professional career that really stand out to me. It's somebody who, a leader who clearly had their own issues, and and it take, taking it out on on other people. So it's so. I mean, as we see with the world today, it's so critical because entire systems can be broken if your leadership is not in place properly, right? Um, and the, and the leaders themselves are not well because, and and it's something. I'm kind of jumping all over the place here, but it's something that is so radically important that we have leaders that are driven with the best possible motivation as opposed to people who have it's driven by ego or impure motivation. And it's so, it's so important right now. Now more than ever, we need 
activists who are heart driven, who are have this incredible emotional intelligence and ability to be leaders who are holistic and look at entire ecosystems and have their own inner moral moral compass set uh, so that every decision that they make as an individual, as a human being, then can reflect and steer the organization or the community in, in such a way that is beneficial internally, uh, but also has that, those effects in terms of the decisions that they make as a business and has effects on both on the community and the environment as well as internally as well. And you know, Nadia, actually I uh, had on the podcast, uh, Jan Muir, the uh, Southeast Asia president for Johnson and & Johnson, when I had asked him, to your point, huh? What is the single most important piece of advice you would give to leaders today in the corporate world? What would it be? And he said, never assume. And the problem is with leaders is that they assume that their employees are behaving in a way and most cases in a way that is not righteous towards the company when they're going through something completely different. And it's a huge pillar of leadership that needs to really be shattered and really be looked at. And I, as a leader, catch myself doing it sometimes as well. And and I think that, yes, it's human, but at the same time, just really working on that awareness of the fact that we don't know what every employee is going through and being very humble about it at the end of the day. Who are we? I mean, no one has a crystal ball. We're not God. And just really exercising that humility towards our employees and towards our communities at large is so important. Thank you for that example out of your own life, because I think that it really serves to show that it really is something that needs to change still. If you could have the world wake up to one topic within the field of emotion, what would it be and why? Um, Empathy. Because we are living in a world which is becoming more and more complicated and challenging and stressful. And as a result of that, the safe thing to do is to shut down. But the braver thing to do and more challenging thing to do is to empathize. And what happens when we shut down and we become apathetic is that we just stop caring about anything that's going on around us, right? And now is the time that we need more people to be empathetic and take action and be engaged in the community and be change makers, right? And have a position of creating impact. The opposite is what's happening. And that's a natural thing because the world is so challenging right now. It's so much easier to just close one eye, survive, breathe, get through the day, and then carry on, right? Um, It's a coping mechanism. So the only way 
I believe that we can move from a place of apathy to a place of empathy is to be radically well as individuals so that we do have the space for apathy, for curiosity, for kindness, for building community. And we can't do those things unless each of us as individuals is well. And that has a direct result on the work that I'm trying to do in conservation as well, because there's very little chance that I can get people to care about pollution, plastics, elephants, orangutans, or climate change, which is like humongous. How can one individual even start thinking about those things if they themselves are not well, right? So apathy, moving from apathy to empathy is something that I'm, I'm truly very curious and passionate about. And to be able to be empathetic takes work. It also takes some self-discipline and a lot of what I call being smart selfish. And that is smart selfish is looking after oneself uh, with the motivation to be the best version of yourself in order to serve others. So smart selfish is not just self-care, you know, like pampering, going for a massage, doing your yoga for yourself alone. So it's the motivation that sets it apart. So being smart selfish, it really is investing in yourself so that you can serve your community. I love that, Nadia. How has being in tune with your own emotions helped you in a professional setting? How has being in tune with my emotions helped me in a professional setting? It has helped me a lot. You know, I, I work in an industry where it has helped me, I think, in managing my reactions to people who are maybe less professional or who behave in certain ways that, is, that could, you know, provoke a reaction or, or situations that arise. You know, there can be situations that can arise that, that can be no fault of anybody's, right? Circumstantial situations. And so um, for me, my mindfulness practice is a practice that I have been uh, studying for about 16 years now. I also facilitate uh, mindfulness classes, uh, classes on mind and its potential. And I've been doing that for maybe about 10 years. And so for me, understanding my emotions really comes with being mindful, mindful of my emotions and understanding you know, what are these emotions and where do they come from. And so mindfulness is a practice. So if you, if you practice mindfulness on the mat uh, and you really are looking at, okay, I'm going to focus my, my attention on my breath and so I can focus my attention on my breath for, you know, 20 breaths, 30 breaths, you know, 40 breaths, and that grows, right? So you start to see the ability of your own mind and how you can train your mind to focus on it. And so what happens is if I can focus on my breath for five breaths and then tomorrow 10 and then the next day 20, then that teaches me that I have control. And that means that if there's an outside stimulus, I can put a pause between the stimulus and the reaction the same way that I can put a pause between my thoughts when I'm meditating. Right. And so when I do that, the chances of that, if the reaction time between stimulus and reaction is like this, the reaction is a much more intense reaction. Right. So, if, for example, for those who are listening, if I have a very, my hands are very close together right now, there's like maybe one inch apart. And if I have that one hand is the react, the stimulus and the other hand is the reaction. And if that reaction time is so close, then the reaction seems to be a lot more intense. Now, if I move my hands for much further apart, they're a meter apart, right? So, so there is my stimulus and there's my reaction. 
in between this period, my reaction could go from like this to thinking about it, to really analyzing it, and then it comes down to, oh, it's not such a big deal. And the reason that I initially might have wanted to react to this in such a way was mainly my ego was affected. And is the ego something that's really needed to be taken into consideration? No, in the grand scheme of things, right? So mindfulness helps us to manage our emotions. It helps us to manage our reactions to um, stimulus that happens in our environment. And it helps us to be well, you know, when we are emotionally turbulent, that has an effect also physiologically as well. And then it can create all types of sickness and illness in our bodies as well. Absolutely. So what are some tools that can be used for our listeners? Some tools would be to find an incredible coach who can guide you through holistically look at your life. Um, And that is also a coach who doesn't just look at your professional life, but looks at your personal life as well. Obviously they don't go into maybe not going into psychotherapy and things like that, but unless you are a robust individual in all aspects of your life, it's very hard for you to be a super solid leader. Right, so to find an awesome coach like that uh, abroad, which is one of the organisations I'm involved with, does do that kind of coaching. Then, other tools would be to start a mindfulness practice. Uh, find someone who can um, guide you and facilitate you in, in these in these practices, and invest in yourself. So I, I really do think that you know, as leaders, we tend to neglect ourselves a lot. And in all honesty, you can't give what you don't have. So, again, smart selfish is something really important. So please make sure that you look after yourself so that you can be of service. Thank you, Nadia. I feel that we haven't spoken enough about abroad. And in a nutshell, could you just give us a little bit more information and cues as to where our audience can be finding more about it? since we don't have time to cover the full spectrum of it this morning, but can you tell us a little bit more about this platform and your work within the realm of what you do uh, at Abroad? So Abroad is a program for leaders that um, basically we, that it, there's a coaching platform, but then also the, the, some of the programs for the board, as the name says, takes global leaders and brings them out into destinations like into Bali, into New Zealand, uh, into Bhutan, into these great uh, sort of areas that have a spiritual connection to the earth um, as well as um, extreme beauty. And uh, they have a team of coaches who work with these leaders and they can be leaders from, you know, heads of heads of industry, Microsoft. And we have Professor Rob Walcott, who is a three-time He's a like professor. He's won like professor of the year multiple multiple times from from Kellogg University. So he's one of the coaches as well. Um, and then Dr. Daniel Kodara from the Contentment Foundation, who uh, used to run the Yale Center for Wellbeing. Also, he is also one of the coaches. So we have these top level coaches that work with uh, incredible leaders from around the world. We bring them into these destinations and really sort of crack through what it is to to be a, a good leader, understanding neuroscience uh, and philosophy, uh, understanding business coaching and how to be well in all aspects of your life, as I mentioned earlier. So that's abroad. To find out more about that, you can just uh, look for me on LinkedIn um, and I can share more with you about 
the abroad program and the different sort of programs that we're offering with abroad. Uh, obviously, with COVID right now, we're not doing so much of the travel, um, but there are other, other programs that are being offered. Contentment Foundation also is a foundation that sits at the intersection of well-being and education, and it is a, a well-being curriculum that rolls out through schools. It's software-based, uh, and it looks at the different pillars of wellness, uh, so community, uh, self-curiosity, mindfulness, uh, compassion, kindness. We have pilot schools around the world right now running this program in Bhutan. Uh, has a huge program happening. I think we're rolling out to 50 schools in Bhutan right now. Wow. And that helps Bhutan to achieve their gross national happiness mandate. Isn't that incredible? Uh, it is. And then, Congratulations. Uh, in the U.S. Uh, and in Singapore also rolling out. So, again, that's, that's really focusing on how we can give the tools to the younger generation to be absolutely resilient or as resilient as possible uh, given the state of the world. And that's why I'm so passionate about the work of Contentment Foundation. Nadia, thank you so much. People are so habituated to thinking that the emotional realm deserves us versus it empowering us. And you have been really myopically uh, focused uh, on the human condition and on our vested power here on this earth. So we all have a role to play in protecting our planet and in protecting the I would say microcosms of this planet in the work realm. Thank you for reminding us of that this morning. And uh, Nadia, where can people connect with you and continue to engage with you and these ideas? Um, I tend to put most of my content on Instagram, uh, but I am also on LinkedIn. Okay. So your uh, Insta name would be Nadia Hutagalung. Yeah, it's just my full name, Nadia Hutagalung. So that for our listeners is N-A-D-Y-A-H-U-T-A-G-A-L-U-N-G. Thank you, Nadia. So as we near the end of this conversation, I would just like to ask you this one final question. What most important piece of advice would you give companies seeking to be the change in the realm of emotional inclusion? I think it could possibly be the biggest investment uh, with the highest returns that you could do for your organization. And I just go for it. Invest in your people. Yeah, I love that. That's good. Thank you so much, Nadia, for agreeing to come on the Emotional Inclusion Podcast with me. You truly are a shining bright light. And uh, you, your take on Emotional inclusion is about changing the mindset ecosystem of today's corporate world, and you shone light on that beautifully today. So as you know, it's uh, my mission uh, to bring this new mindset to the world, and I really hope that people will follow up, uh, take the advice, and stay engaged with what you do. Friends, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, and until next time, be bold and be brave. Thanks for listening to my conversation today. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to receive new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. And in the meantime, 
you can check out emotionalinclusion.com slash the podcast.